What's up, young adults? How are you? <laughs> Happy Thursday night. Good to be with you guys. Turn to your neighbor and just say, oh man, I'm so glad to be sitting next to you. Ah. <laughs> uh, Hey, it is a joy to be with you guys. It is a joy. Um, some of you, you might not have noticed, which is great, actually, but I have actually been gone for the last four weeks. Um, the, my two bosses have uh, been gracious enough to give me a sabbatical, and so I took time away. And I just, uh, I do feel like I have a word for you tonight, and I feel like um, God just wants you to understand that no matter how badly you came in tonight, if you don't feel like what you are bringing is good enough, that his goodness towards you is just so much better. That, man, that Jesus, who he is towards us, his faithfulness to us, his faithfulness for us, it's so much more than our faithfulness towards him. And so it doesn't matter um, what kind of space or what kind of headspace you are in tonight, listen, he just wants you, just like you are, just the way you came. He likes you. He likes the way you're made, and he actually likes you right now. He doesn't need you to be any, anything different than where you're at right now. That's how good he is. That's how precious he is. That's how faithful he is. And um, I wanted to talk to you tonight about the subject of your end game and your end goal and what Jesus has in mind for you, and what he has called you to. And um, I have a simple question, and it's this. Um, when it comes to the trajectory of your life, or it comes to maybe what the aim of your life, the end goal of your life, does it feel like you are hitting the mark when it comes to the goal of your life? Or does it feel like maybe you're a little bit aimless right now? Like, do you feel like right now, where, where you're at in your life, in, in, in your seats, in this moment, um, do you feel like you are en route to hit the mark, to hit the goal with what God has called you to and who he has created you to be, or does it feel like maybe you're falling a little bit short of that? And what I want to build a case for tonight is I want to do a good representation of who our God is and who our Jesus is, and I want to talk very briefly about the idea that that he is in the business of protecting and restoring the aim and the end goal of your life. That he is in the game of making sure that you hit the mark that he created you for. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John 8. If you got a real Bible, I wanna see it wave in the air like you just don't care. Yeah, there were some real thick leather ones I saw. You're like, I have, t I have 12 translations and they're all right here. <laughs> I need the message, it's here. Amplified here. King James here. Like, <clears throat> don't sit next to them. <laughs> all right, here we go. If you got it, say I got it. That's a lot of you. All right, let's do this. Um, all right, so they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. This means that everybody had a place to live except for Jesus. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Some translations say at dawn. All the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in their midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And this they said to test him that they might have a charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down 
And he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up again. And then he said, let the, um, then he stood up to them and he said, let he who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, because they know what's up. <laughs> and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. Then he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I want to talk to you again very briefly tonight about the idea that Jesus is in the business of protecting your calling. <laughs> He's in the business of protecting the end game of your life. And, um, I want to simply title tonight this, and it's Take Your Aim. Take Your Aim. If your life has an angle, Jesus wants to make sure that you hit it, and you hit it with precision and miraculously. And so let's invite the Holy Spirit to be here tonight. God, we thank you. We thank you for every single person that's in here. And God, I thank you for uh, the people that are feeling low. I thank you for the people that are feeling up. And I pray that tonight you do a deep restorative work in every single person. I ask for nothing less than your power. We welcome you. We praise you for your word and for the work that you're going to do tonight. We want to leave here different, and we are taking your word that we will be different. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. How many of you love sixth grade? Raise a hand. You love sixth grade? You did. All right. All right. I actually did like sixth grade. Um, I remembered graduating, you know, then into seventh grade, and I was like, oh, this is terrible. Um, the, like, middle school was completely different. I have a picture of myself in sixth grade, I think. Do we have that? Oh, Lord. Um, us, me and my little sister, uh, Krista, and oh my goodness, like just ridiculous, right? I still, um, well, we're going to put it this way. I was putting out reindeer food for Santa at that point in my life, um, Neff said. God, I was a nerd. Um, and so, so that was me, right? Like in sixth grade, it's right around the time where you're starting to notice boys, but you're also noticing that you have body odor. You know what I mean? And so like it is deep. Like the awkwardness is deep. Like you finally have self-awareness and you realize you are not cool at all. And so the only thing for us that was cool, if you, are anybody from the great state of Colorado? Okay. If you were born here, if you were raised here in sixth grade, you did one thing that was totally redemptive of all of the awkwardness. And what was it? Oh my gosh, it was outdoor lap. It was outdoor lap. For those of you who don't know and you're like, I'm from Philly, boo. Because here's what we did. Here's what we got to do. For one week, we went on, we learned in the mountains. Basically what it was was a sleepover with like all your best friends were like high schoolers were your counselors and it was amazing, right? Like you just partied all week. And so we go up to, you know, to our outdoor lab and you're allowed to take electives. And so you sign up for one or two classes. So you learn about rocks, you know, and you learn about animals and stuff up in the mountains. And for real, they'd be like, this rock is a some. And then they'd be like, this rock is a different rock. And you're like, what? Um... <laughs> Aren't they all just rocks? It's fine. Uh, so, so then, they, then they're like, you can take an elective, and they're like, you can do topography, or you can do archery. Topography is the study of maps, and it was like, you know. Or you can, like, shoot people. And I was like, amen, let's go. So, so we get up there, and guys, we're 11 years old, or 12 years old, and so we're all supposed to be learning how to shoot arrows. When you think about it, it's actually really unsafe. And uh, we would get up there, 
And all of you over there, I'm not going to release, okay? All right. And you get up there, and one by one, we pull our arrow, right? And I mean, they're like shanking to the right. They're going in haystacks. Like, none of us are good at this at all. And there was a young man in my grade who I think everybody probably had a kid like this in their class, and his name was Jedediah. And um, Jedediah was, uh, when it came to life, he had been dealt like maybe a poor hand, right? Like, he had, he came from a low-income family. He was the last of maybe six kids, and so his parents were at a point where, like, they just didn't even want to raise him. And so he would get on our bus every single day, and he was the kid that maybe didn't smell right. And, man, those sixth-grade kids, they poured it on Jedediah. And so no matter what he did, he could never get a leg up. And no matter how well he performed, it just never was good enough. And so he gets, he gets up there to shoot his arrow, and they start in almost immediately, and they're like, oh, Jedediah, like, I hope you're better at, like, shooting arrows than you are at brushing your hair, you know. Um, oh, Jedediah, like, I hope it doesn't get snagged in your holy jeans. This was before holy jeans were cool. Like, you were poor if you had holy jeans, right? And so, so Jedediah, I mean, you could just see him as, like, these sixth grade boys are just hammering him, right? And his shoulders just kind of slump. And kind of just loses his moment. And the woman that was our instructor that day, her name was Kate. And she said, okay, everybody go to lunch. Go to lunch. Get out of here. And everybody left, right? And little did we know, we're like, oh, Twinkies, whatever, you know. But little did we know that afternoon, Kate spent the entire afternoon with Jedediah teaching him how to be a good archer. So we all show up the next day and we all line up and again we, you know, all of us are shanking to the left and shanking to the right and hitting haystacks and being terrible. And Jedediah gets up there and with very poised grace and ease, he gets up and he takes aim and he hits his mark. And on that day, Jedediah learned something very important. He learned that his life can have confidence, that he can have confidence that his life can hit the mark. But he also learned something else, and he learned that someone, maybe not everybody, but someone will defend him in his life. It feels good to be defended, does it not? I mean, when was the last time that you felt defended in your life? It almost immediately brings a dignity to you when a coworker does it, when a friend does it. You feel an immediate dignity restored to your life when someone defends you. And in the Bible, one of the names of God that we are given to, to our Lord, we give him the name and it's Yahweh Saboeth, which means Lord of hosts. It means that he is the Lord of angel armies in the unseen realm where he sends them to you, assignments to your defense and to my defense. He defends us in our time of need. He is our great defender. The Bible says this in Psalm 59, God, my strength, I'm looking to you because God is my defender. My God loves me. He goes in front of me. He will help me to defeat my enemies. Psalm 18 says this, how I love you, Lord. You are my defender, my Lord and my protector. He is my strong fortress. My God is my protection and with him I am safe. He protects me like a shield. He defends me and he keeps me safe. I call to the Lord and he saves me from my enemies. Praise the Lord. God is in the business, young adults, of defending you. It's part of who he is, it's part of his character. And listen, he defends you and he defends me even when we miss the mark completely. 
The Bible says this in John 8. We already read it, but let's go there again. They each went to their own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought up, side note, scribes and Pharisees, these are religious people of the day. They are the pastors of the day, and they are the enemies. If you are in here and you are in ministry, be wary of the way that you manage your life. It says the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in their midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? This they said to him to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So what we are reading is a story about uh, Jesus, a woman that we don't get the name of, and some scribes and Pharisees. And as Jesus' ministry is growing and his recognition is mounting and his movement is moving, the paranoia of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is just growing and they hate it. And they hope to catch Jesus in a trap. And so they bring this woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. Now to make no mistake about it, this woman has um, really, she's really not their goal. She's really not the aim of their hopes and their dreams in this moment. With the Pharisees and the Sadducees, by bringing her to Jesus, what they hope to do is trap Jesus. And Satan is the same with us. In Revelations, it calls him the accuser of the brethren. And listen, he strikes at the heart of Jesus by accusing the thing and compromising the thing that Jesus loves most. And so they bring this woman who has been caught in the act, the Bible says not once but twice, she has been caught in the act of adultery. And so however this worked out, like somebody phoned and was like, oh, hey, it's going down, and they like rolled to her house, how embarrassing. And they bring her and they throw her in the middle of town in front of a bunch of people. And they say, you know what the law says, Jesus, what do you say? And in this moment, he steps in to defend her. Now listen, probably none of us in here feel like we can relate with this woman caught in the act of adultery. And maybe you're in here and you don't feel like you can relate with a woman caught in the act of adultery, but there's none of us in here that can't relate with someone um, being surrounded by accusers and being talked down and condescended until we feel so small. Maybe this season for you looks something like this, a season where your voices of failure seem more convincing than your voices of worth, where you feel trapped or you feel overpowered by your shortcomings and by your issues. Maybe you're in a season where the losses just keep stacking up and the wind is like nowhere in sight. I don't think it's difficult to relate to her at all. The accusations, we know what it feels like to be accused, whether it's from Satan himself, the great accuser, or whether it's our own negative chatter in our head. We know what it feels like to be talked down until you feel so small that you bow down to the smallness that you feel in your head. We know what this feels like. We know what it feels like to be this woman. And they bring her and they throw her in front of Jesus and they say, what do you say? And then Jesus, as we would expect, right, he defends her. But what I want to talk about tonight is the way and what he is defending. Because Jesus, in this moment, he is not just defending this woman and, and, and her, her actions. 
Jesus is not just defending this woman and what she has done. He is not just um, saving her from her sins or from the things that she has just committed or the decisions that she has just made. It is so much more than that, that Jesus is actually committed to protecting and defending the end goal and the aim of this woman's life. Listen, when he goes to redeem her, and I'm gonna show it in a second, but when he goes to redeem her, he is going not just to redeem her past infractions, but he is going to redeem her future impact. She, he is there to make sure that her life is everything that he has wanted it to be. Can I uh, talk to you a little bit or preach to you a little bit about this word sin in the Bible? Uh, this word sin is a Greek word um, and that, that has been translated into our English word sin, okay? But in the Greek, there's this word kakos that we translate to sin. We find it in the book of Romans, okay? And it means bad. You say, you know, like, and you're like, ooh, yeah, it sounds like a bad word, right? There's a word, uh, there's a word paneros. We find it in the book of Matthew, and it means evil, okay? But it gets translated to sin. There's a, there's a word, uh, esibus, and it means godless. That also gets translated to sin. But the word that is used more often than not when it comes to sin in the Bible is this word hamartia. Everybody say hamartia. And this word hamartia means to miss the mark. It is an archery term that the Greeks used, and it essentially means someone taking aim and falling short of hitting dead center. It is where we get our verse where we say, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark. We've all fallen short. We know what it feels like when we fall short. We know what it feels like when we mess up. We know what it feels like when we're not enough. We know what it feels like to fall short. This is what it means to sin in the Bible. And so, um, you know, the Aristotle and Plato, the Greek artists, when they would write plays, they would use this word hamartia, and it would be where a person makes an error in judgment or an error in decision-making, and it would affect the overall trajectory of their life. And this is what they're saying in this moment, is that it's possible for you to make a mistake and for that mistake to affect the trajectory of the overall outcome of your life. And Jesus says, listen, when you sin, it's not just about you stealing a bag of chips. It's not about you stealing from your boss. It's not about you gossiping about your friends. That actually when you are sinning, it is when you are falling short of the life that he has created for you to live. And he comes to defend her from this type of outcome, hamartia, to fall short. And as I was studying archers this week and I was studying what it meant to be a good archer, one thing, North Koreans, awesome archers. No, not North Koreans, South Koreans, <laughs> awesome archers. <laughs> North Koreans have fake bombs, it's fine. <laughs> I'm kidding, don't bomb me. <clears throat> An archer would stand perpendicular to their target. They would have their shoulders low and their elbows high, and they would bring the cord all the way to their cheek every single time. And so Katniss did it right. <laughs> but one of the things that I read was how important, it, how important your gear was and how important the bow was, but more important than even the bow was the arrow itself, and that the arrow needed to be rigid and it needed to be perfectly straight that it needed to be rigid enough and straight enough to withstand the thing that was going to launch it into the atmosphere. 
And the Bible, I find this so fascinating. The Bible says this about you and about me. Isaiah 49. The Lord called me from the womb. From my body of my mother, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword, and in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And he made me into a polished arrow concealed in his quiver. God foreknew you. Maybe your parents didn't even want you, but God wanted you. And he created, he fashioned you in your mom's womb to be an arrow. Listen to me, you are his secret weapon, concealed in his quiver, to be used for his kingdom. And he does not want you to miss. You are his arrow. And so if I'm Satan, if I'm the accuser, you know what my goal is, my hope is? It is to weaken that arrow. And the way that the accuser of the brethren weakens that arrow is by accusing that arrow. Oh, you think you're strong enough <laughs> for that call? You think you're good enough for that call? You think you're old enough or you're young enough? You think you're pretty enough? You think you're good enough? You think you've got smarts enough? You think you've got poise enough? You think you're enough? And this is exactly what they do to this woman. They bring her and they toss her in front of Jesus and they say, Basically, what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that everything that this woman is, that who she is, is nothing but a pile of accusations. What they are trying to say is that her infractions have equaled her identity. Her infractions are now who she is. That she is nothing but this pile and a mounting of nothingness. That her life will never be anything else than what she is. The decisions that she has made. Listen to me, it is one thing for us to make mistakes, but it is quite another for those mistakes to then define your life. Life. And so they look at her and they say, look at this woman, she is nothing but this pile of accusations. And listen, this is exactly what the devil does to you and what he does to me. He gets up in our world and in our business and he says, you're nothing but those five words you said last week that were ill-fitted. You're nothing, you're nothing but the way that you treated your friend. You're nothing but that, t- you think you can do anything? You didn't even graduate college. And he accuses you and he weakens that arrow because listen, if he can make you think that your identity is nothing but an infraction, then he can affect your impact. And that's what he wants, that's what he's after. And so he's like, I'm gonna break it, I'm gonna break this arrow by accusing you. And so the Bible says this about our Jesus, it says that he steps in front in John eight, but Jesus bent down and he wrote on the ground with his finger. And so he steps in front of the women, and he, the accusers are in front of him, and he's like, hold up, let me just get, you know, let me just do something down here, right? And I love it because scholars are so stupid. Um, <laughs> and scholars are like, like the Bible doesn't say what he's doing in this moment, but they're like, well, we know. <laughs> so um, they're like, well, maybe he was writing down the names of the accusers in the sand. Maybe he was writing down the names of Um, or the infractions of the accusers in this moment. Or maybe he was, you know, maybe he was writing down a mosaic piece of law that applied to this scenario. We don't know. What we do know is that Jesus got low and he got on eye level with this woman. That he bent down to meet her in her moment of need and in her moment of hurt and in her moment of I'm not enough. 
He bent down and he met her. And listen, this is not the first time that the God of the universe bends down to meet us in the middle of our mess. It says this in Psalm 113. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and on the earth? I don't know who you think God is, but let me tell you who he is. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the Prince of peace and he created everything. He is mighty and other and holy and worthy of praise and yet he stoops in on my life to see how I'm doing. This is everything that I need to know about God. I don't know how you feel when you hear that but it stirs something in me that someone who is so great and so holy and so other and so perfect he bends down. Listen Jesus is perfect but he's not pretentious and he meets us in the middle of wherever we're at And so wherever you're at tonight, he's bending low and he's with you. If you're discouraged, if you're frustrated, he's bending low and he's in it with you. He bends down and he meets her at eye level. He's like, I see you. I see your hurt. I see your pain. I see your broken dreams. I see your broken arrow. We don't know what Jesus was doing when he wrote on the ground, but we do know who he made eye contact with. And then the Bible says this. After a while... Jesus stood back up. John 8 says this. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down on the ground and he wrote on the ground. Scripture says that Jesus straightened up. That Jesus straightened up. And I think sometimes we listen and we read the words of God. You know, we read our Bible so often, sometimes we forget to read them right. We read our Bible so often, forget, sometimes we forget to read them fresh. And we think about Jesus straightening up and we just breeze right by it. Listen, there is a, a, a body language being communicated in this moment. We picture Jesus sometimes with these sanitized lenses, right? And we're like, oh, he's blonde and blue-eyed. He's got a halo behind him that glows. And his hair is waving and he's always peaceful looking, right? Like that's how we picture him. Jesus looked more like a Palestinian man, a Palestinian carpenter. He would have been able to flip over 100-pound tables in the temple. He would have been able to be whipped within an inch of his life and then carry his cross up to Calvary. This is the God we serve. He is intimidating, if I may say so, in this moment. And so he steps in front of this woman. He bends down on the ground. And then the Bible says, quote, he straightened up. In other words, he bowed up. And he basically looks at these accusers, just the way that he looks at our accusers, and he says, if you want to get to her, you're going to have to come through me. This is the God that we serve. He straightens up, and then he looks around and he says, let any one of you. And I picture in this moment his grace and his mercy even seeping through even now. He says, let any one of you who has never sinned, let any one of you who has never fallen short, let any one of you who has never missed it, you go ahead. You go ahead and throw the first stone. And the older dudes are like, oh, they go first, right? Because they know. And then the younger one leaves and one by one, everybody ends up leaving, right? And then Jesus offers this woman this moment. He says, woman, does anyone condemn you now? And for the first time in probably a long time, 
she stopped looking at the ground and she looked up at her future. She says, no, no, sir. No one's here to condemn me. I can see out beyond me now. I can see past the condemnation now and the accusations now. I can see now. Nobody condemns me. And Jesus, who would have been able to condemn her in this moment, he would have been able to condemn her. He was the only one who was perfect enough in this moment to actually condemn her. And then he says this. He says, I don't. Romans says this about Jesus. It says that his grace is so good and so full and so merciful that we can come to him as imperfect and fractured and and issue bound. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And when he says this line, now go and sin no more, listen to me. He is not saying to her, okay, woman, here's the deal. Here's the end goal for your life. Because I think as a kid and when I was a new believer, I would read this verse and I would think, now go and sin no more. And he's sending her off to kind of perform religiously for the next, you know, 30, 40 years or however long she lives of her life. Okay, now go and be, you know, fashioned in a way that you are religiously perfect for the rest of your life. Now go and perform in piety perfectly for the rest of your life. Go, woman. This is the end goal for you. Go and sin no more. I would read it, and that's how I read it. (laughs) And then I read it recently. And he says, now go and sin no more. Listen, when Jesus died for you and he died for me, he didn't come into this world to um, get up on a cross for us so that we would go and no longer steal bags of chips. He didn't get up on a cross so we would go and no longer mistreat our friends or gossip about people or maybe, you know, steal from our bosses or punch our time in when we know we're not actually working. He didn't die for that. He died for a life with its trajectory wrong that is misaligned, that couldn't quite make it, that wasn't enough, that wasn't hitting the mark. He didn't just die for the things you did wrong. He died for your very self that wasn't enough to hit the goal. And so he says, does anybody condemn you? And she looks out and she says, no, no. Therefore, now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And you're thinking, well, my goodness, but I've fallen so short. Listen, this is what I know about this story. That God wasn't just dying for something you did. He was dying for a life aimed wrong. And so Jesus looks at this woman and he says, now go and sin no more. And what he's saying in this moment, he's saying, go and hit the mark you were created for. Go and be the person I designed you for. Go and be the thing I dreamed you would be. Listen, his calling for you is less about your dreams for yourself and more about God's dreams for you and over you. And so if you feel them keeping you awake at night, it's because they're his and they're for you. And he's defending you so that you hit it. And if you're up at night and you're thinking, God, I don't know, is this even going to work out? Is this relationship even going to work out? Is this future even going to work out? He's like, stop looking at the ground. Does anybody condemn you? Is there anything stopping you? Is there anybody in your way anymore? Is there any accusations that are coming at you anymore? Because listen, I am the God that does two things. I bend low when you feel like you've missed it. 
And so wherever you're at tonight, if you're feeling like, I don't, I'm not enough, I didn't do it right, I made some poor decisions, I missed the mark, I'm, I'm feeling, feeling like low or disavowed or dismantled or like I'm not, even, I'm not even hitting an eight, let alone a 10, he comes low and he meets you in that moment. And then listen, he is the God who straightens up and makes sure that we realign and that we restore and that we hit the mark that we were created for. This is the God that we serve that bends low when you miss it and stands up to help you reintroduce yourself to it. He wants you to miss or he wants you to hit the mark he created you for. And so if everybody could stand tonight. The disappointment, the regret, the frustration. See, I think for every single person in here, I think for me in particular, sometimes time can pass and you can think, well, my goodness, maybe God just doesn't have the things that I thought he had for me anymore. Maybe God doesn't have the dreams that I thought he had for me anymore. And what God did through this story was he revived the idea that he defends me, not just in my actions, but in the potency of my life. And he eliminates any fractures to the identity that we have so that we can hit the mark with accuracy and we can have impact over the things that we are supposed to be impactful in. God wants you to hit it every single time. The Bible says this, and I love this verse. It says that by his death, he cleansed our sins, but by his life, we now live. And what that verse is saying is that by his death, he took care of the accusations. By his death, he died for every single place that we don't measure up, that we don't feel good enough, that, that, that it just didn't work, that we fell short. <laughs> but by his life, the Bible says we now live. Meaning the moment he resurrected, he inhabited you and he inhabited me so that we could actually be everything he dreamed we would be. Isaiah says this, from the womb he called you to be an arrow concealed in his quiver. And so I don't know where you're at tonight. Um, I have two very simple thoughts and very simple questions. If you're in here and you're feeling like, man, I have nothing to offer you, God. Look at my life and look at what I've done. Look at what I'm trying to do and how it's not working. Listen, he wants you to understand he's bending low right now to meet you in the middle of it. And if you're in here tonight and you're thinking, God, is there any possible way that I could be everything that you, you dreamed when you fashioned me in my mom's womb? He's saying, yes. <laughs> I'm standing up so that I can realign your life. And two months from now, when you make a mistake, he's going to bend down. And he's going to be like, stand up. Does anybody condemn you? I don't either. Three months from now, what, three months and two days from now, <laughs> when you mess up, he's going to bend down. He's going to be like, stand up. Does anybody condemn you? I don't either. Now go and do it, daughter. Hit the mark I created you for. Hit the mark I created you for, son. And so with every head bowed, I just have two questions. If you're in here, and you just need an encounter with God. You don't need flashy lights. You don't need an awesome sermon. You just need Jesus. 
if you're in here and you just want him to meet you in the middle of a broken arrow in your life, would you just raise your hand nice and high? Nice and high. Amen. Amen. And if you're in here and you don't know the God that I'm talking about, you don't know the Jesus that's so intimate and personal and real, listen, I love God with every ounce of my being. God, uh, the Bible says this, that our, our wonderful Father, the, the triune God, that he sent his son to live a blameless life, a perfect life, so that by that life he could be the perfect sacrifice for you and for me, that for all of the ways that you have fallen short, that in one fell swoop he took care of it on Calvary. And the Bible says that Jesus went up to Calvary and he died, and in that moment he cleansed the sins of all humanity, both present, past, past and future. And then when he resurrected on the third day, that he then gave his life to anybody who would call upon the Lord. And so if you are in here tonight and you do not know the Jesus I am talking about, listen, there is no greater time than right now. There is no better opportunity than right now. He would love for you to meet him right now. He is so close. He is so personal. He is so real. I wish I could tell you, but you're not going to know until you receive him yourself. And so if you're in here tonight and you want to know this God that comes low when you miss it and stands up so you hit it, can you just raise your hand and say, yes, Jesus, I would like to receive you for the very first time. Put your hands up nice and high and say, yes, God, come, Lord. Come, Lord, I see you. I see you. Amen. 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 God, we pray over every single heart in here. We pray over the people in here that have felt like they have missed it in their life, that are feeling like their arrow is broken in this time. And listen, it is not their arrow that is broken. It is simply the accuser trying to make them think that that arrow is weak. And God, that by your blood, you say you redeem us and you restore us. And we can look around now and see that you have a hope and a future for us where we can actually hit the goal you made us for, God. And so I pray that you would inhabit your people, the praises of your people as we sing. And for every single person in here that received you as their Lord and Savior for the very first time, God, you say that if we are not ashamed of you in front of men, that you will not be ashamed of us in front of heaven. And God, I pray that every single person in here would know how deeply you love them, how close you are to them, and that they would feel your Holy Spirit even inhabiting them right now. The Bible says that you have been cleansed of your sin, that you receive eternity forever and that you receive the Holy Spirit in the here and now. And as we praise, guys, lift up the hope that can only come through the cross and can only come through a Jesus that loves us so intimately and so personally. He's stooping down even now to hear you. Let's worship. <laughs>